Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great, friends. So let's open up our Bible. So that's all right. Let's get into the Word. If I sound a bit groggy, it's because I'm feeling a bit groggy, but that uh, is fine. And also, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, from this week onwards, we are just giving out little handout Bibles. If you want to, just for the service, have one available. I'm just going to ask Taiki uh, just to present it to you. If you need one, just quickly put up your hand as we get going. Uh, you're more than welcome to read. We want to make sure that you are reading in a Bible, in your own Bible, preferably, because we are passionate about the Word in this church. So a couple of weeks ago, we had an amazing opportunity. You could say it was impossible to say no to. So we moved here in March to Pretoria to come and plant this new church. And it's just been chaotic. You can imagine it's new city, new work, new space, you know, kids, new school, everything. So we still restructuring and re-gearing ourselves and just putting things together. And so a couple of weeks ago, my parents say, listen, we want to bless you guys. So we'll meet you in the middle. They're going to come from Bloom. We'll come from Gauteng. We'll meet you in Kronstadt, and you can drop off the kids. We've got three kids for the weekend, and they'll be with us, and you guys can just relax. Now, as you can imagine, we jumped at that chance. It was going to be great. We're going to explore Pretoria. We're going to have an awesome time together, and it was amazing. So we went hiking, and we went, you know, we went to all the restaurants we haven't explored yet. It was just a great time. And then obviously, that Saturday evening before the kids are going to come back, the Sunday after the service, I just thought, man, we're going to have this romantic evening together. It's going to be so great. You know, we're planning for it. So it's going to be exciting. And we, you know, we're excited going into all of these things. And then at that very moment on Saturday evening, load shedding. Right? Isn't that how it always happens? The power goes off. The electrical guards have transpired against us. And that's what happens. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? That when the power goes off, it's like life just comes to a halt. All the normal rhythms, all the normal things that we're excited about in our office or at our home or whatever, those things don't work the way they should. Life is not as it should be. In fact, I got this meme just to consoled the two of us the other day. It says the following um, about this electric issue that we have. Um, we will get there now. And it just says the following. It says that South Africa has been voted as the most romantic country in the world because we eat by candlelight every night. So if that's where you are at the moment, do not fear. Uh, we feel the pain. But the moment the power comes back on again, it's like everything just happens. Rhythms start getting, you know, uh, all the things we want to do that we're passionate about, the Wi-Fi, you know, the stuff that's, you know, great in life at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, deeper than food and water, Wi-Fi. Everything happens again. Life happens again. And I think very often that's exactly how our faith works. You see, on Sundays for many of us, we come in here, we call this a Sunday celebration in Dr. Day, when we come to the church, the gathering of the church, and there is excitement, the switch is flipped on, and we feel there's power, and there is anointing, and there's authority, and there's joy, and there's a sense of togetherness. It's like God is at work. And then we go into Monday morning, and it's like the switch is flipped off. And we go in and suddenly it's none of that. It's almost like God is absent. And I go into my work life and God is not there. 
And all the joy and the passion and the connectedness that I have with God is absent. It's like we suddenly enter into this kind of Monday morning atheist mindset. We believe in God, but we live in our work life as if he doesn't exist. Practically, we are atheists. Now, this is a challenge because if we do that, we are disconnected from God, from life itself, from the one who gives us the passion and the purpose and the joy to do our work, from the one who gives us the wisdom and the clarity and the peace to do our work in a way that brings him glory. We are cut off from God and work is not as it should be. Switched off. You know what happens when we do that? I just want to say that if you sit here today, I know we've got a whole bunch of young people, people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds and ages and races. If you think when I say work, you think an eight to five. I want to challenge you with that because all of us, doesn't matter who you are this morning, all of us have a calling. All of us have a vocation. You are a mom or a dad. You're a brother or a sister. You're a student. You're a scholar. You're a business owner. You're a volunteer at a nonprofit or a church. You are doing something in this season of your life that carries authority and influence. And God is disconnected sometimes there. And when we do that, when we live in that kind of disconnectedness, that kind of sacred and secular split in our lives, when we live like Monday morning atheists, you know what happens? There's devastation in our souls and to the people around us. And just a couple of years ago, they had the survey with more than 25 million people globally, and they self-reported that 87% of them, some young people would love to get 87% on anything, 87% of them said, I feel disengaged in my work life. A recent survey with Christian people in our country of South Africa, asking them about their faith and their work, they self-reported the following. I know there's a spelling mistake on that first one. Listen if some of this resonates with your heart. Statements like, I often make work decisions without hearing or talking to God first. I struggle to express why Jesus is the center of my life and work. I seldom get away from work and rest to reduce stress and discouragement. I usually don't feel God's presence when I'm working. In my work decisions and interactions with people, God is really top of my mind. Does some of that stick in your heart this morning? Do you feel that Sundays we are on fire and Monday, man, Monday. So that's why in this series, just for four weeks, the whole Doxedo family is doing this series globally together. And we're just going to ask this question, God, through your spirit, will you come and inspire us, challenge us, reform our thoughts, elevate our thinking to what you have in mind for our work life? Because we know that we have been called to the city. And so today I'm just going to lay a couple of foundations for us. And then in the next three weeks afterward, we are going to tackle three lies that we believe about our work life, whatever season you are in. In the second week, we're going to look at this thought. Only some of my life is spiritual. I've got spiritual elements to my life and unspiritual elements. The week after, I'm alone and it's all up to me. That's how some of us feel. And finally, my work is just a waste. It's a paycheck at best. We're going to dive into this, and we're trusting that God would come and switch us back on, on Monday. Now, this morning, I want to challenge us with three thoughts <laughs> to go into our work life, students, scholars, 
you know, business owners, nonprofit organizers, whatever you are, three things how we can reconnect in purpose to God. And the first thing is this, to connect to God's passion in my work life. Connecting to God's passion in my work life. So the opening chapters of Genesis, we often read through the lenses of geography or science or whatever, which I think is a mistake because that's not the author's intent. He is trying to say some theological thing about the nature of God and the nature of man and our calling. And so Genesis 2 verse 15 says this, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it and watch over it. From the beginning, the calling of mankind is set by God. This is not because of sin or because of disobedience or some kind of curse. No, work is part of the original, in God's words, good design of what we've been made to do. Work matters to God and God matters to our work. In fact, even this word that they use here in the Hebrew, the word work has to do with developing or nurturing something. You see that God places Adam in the garden. He is a gardener. Isn't that interesting? He's not a game ranger. He's not protecting the garden. He has been called to develop it, to nurture it, to bring the best out of it. God is the creator, and he says, I've created you in my image. And when you co-create with me, you are stepping into a place of worship. God has called Adam and Eve to say, the raw material that I've put in your hand in this garden-like space, I want you to use it to develop it to its fullest potential. Now, simple question for you this morning, friend. Whatever season you are in, young and old, this is the question. What is the material that God has placed in your hand in this season to develop for his glory and for the good of the people around you? What's the material that he's placed in your hand? Maybe contractors, they use the material of sand and cement and steel to build buildings to the glory of God and to the good of the people around them. Maybe artists this morning, you use the raw material of sound and motion and visual stimulation to create art to the glory of God and to the good of the people around you. Maybe lawyers this morning, you use, don't laugh, you use the raw materials of justice and our judicial system and you codify laws to the blessing, to the protection, to the blessing of the people around us and to the glory of God. See, the moment that we step into this place of co-creation, we are actually worshiping God. If I started this morning by saying, let's close our eyes for a moment, and we're going to speak. I want you to imagine, what's the first picture that comes to mind when I say the word worship? Most of us would have thought something like this. Guys with a guitar in hand, singing, hands raised, dancing. That's worship. But this thought challenges that and says, yes, that is part of worship. But when I step into my calling, in whatever season I'm in, with the passion of God, I am worshiping Him. And this is the key to understand this, friends, is that God, in that moment that you worship Him through your studies, through your work, through your parenting, through your friendship, He is actually working through you. You know, the Great reformer, Martin Luther, he once read through Psalm 147 and he was struggling with it because it says this, 
for God strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills fills you with the finest of wheat. And Luther was struggling because he was thinking, how is it possible that this, this, you know, unlimited spirit God can do these very menial practical things? How does he do that? It doesn't make sense. It's an abstract thought. And then the thought came to his heart. He does it through us. How does God strengthen the bars of the city? He does it through the city planners and the architects and the politicians who pass good laws to protect our city. How does he bless our children within our midst? It's through the good work of teachers and pediatricians. How does he make peace in our borders? It's when good lawyers and effective police officers are doing what they are called to do. How does he fill us with the finest of wheat? It's through the farmers and factory workers and restaurant owners who engage with the passion that God has given them to bless us and to bring him glory. In fact, I would say that some of us here have already discovered something of that in your own life. That when you do what you are called to do, you have the sense of joy in your heart. You have the sense of purpose and fulfillment in your heart. There's this moment in Exodus 31 in the Old Testament where it says, God pours out his spirit on these two guys, Bezalel and Ohilihab, which are just incredible names, by the way. If you have twins, you can thank me afterwards for that little tip off. So these two guys, the Bible says, are filled with the Spirit of God. And with our very religious mindsets, we think, oh, so what's next? They probably prophesy or they you know, do some great miracle or they heal someone. You know what the Bible says when they are filled with the Spirit? They become these expert craftsmen. They start crafting and working to the glory of God. Why? Because His Spirit is at work in them. I love the story of Eric Liddell, the movie Chariots of Fire. It's way beyond everyone's scope at this stage, I'm sure. But in this movie, you see this guy, he's preparing, the story of him preparing for the 1924 Olympics. And he wants to run and he's passionate. And then at one stage, his sister comes to him and she rebukes him. She's very religious in her thinking. And she says, why do you give your time to this running? Why not become a Christian missionary to China? Do something with your life for God. And listen to what he says. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose and he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. This man understood his calling. When I run, when I parent, when I teach, when I study, when I write that test, when I guide that person, when I build that company, when I work fairly, I feel the pleasure of God over my life because I'm engaging in the passion that I was made to have in Him. Friends, what our country needs at the moment, that's why I was so emotional yesterday by a small thing like a game of rugby. It's because people are asking the question, should I be still in this country in this time? And I want to say, make up your own mind. But if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you with this thought. This country needs a church that will passionately step into a Monday morning office space, commune space, university space, their house, and say, I am called to be here. And I feel the pleasure of God over me when I do what I've been called to do.
It's not just on a Sunday. God is for a Sunday. No, friends, God is for a Monday to Monday kind of life when I am connected once again with the passion of God. But secondly, it's not just connecting to the passion of God. It's connecting to the excellence of God. It's connecting with the excellence of God in my work life. Colossians 3 verse 23, man, this is a bombshell of a verse. It says in verse 23, whatever you do, say the word whatever. No, say the word whatever, whatever. Do you know what the Greek means of that word? The Greek whatever means whatever. Whatever you do, do it from the heart. Doesn't it sound like a Disney song? Do it from the heart and follow your passions and be the captain of your own soul. No, it says do it from the heart. Why? As something done for the Lord. And not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve. If you didn't get it just yet, this is like a third time. You serve the Lord Christ. In whatever you do, we are working for the Lord. Do you hear that, friend? You have a bigger boss than your boss. You have a greater reward than simply a salary. You have a greater task than just passing Monday morning's test. You are doing whatever you do for the Lord. And that means that everything that I do, the way I parent, the way I engage in friendships, the way I build this company, the way I engage with my colleagues, it says something about the worthiness of my God. You know, C.S. Lewis, probably one of my favorite authors, he at one stage wonders aloud and he says, why is it? It seems so stupid that God would allow all these massive, incredible, you know, natural wonders to be present on our planet and never mind the whole of the universe that no eye will ever see, that no ear will ever enjoy, that no sense can ever engage in. Why would God be so wasteful if there's no person to enjoy it? And the answer comes when he realizes maybe it's not about you. Maybe all of that has to do with the worth and the glory of God. And when that field of lilies and when that planet and when that stream of water that no eye ever sees and its excellence exists, it brings worth and glory to God. Can I challenge you this morning in the way that you study and work and play, in the way that you engage in the city, do it in a way that it would say something about the worth of your God. Get this, even if no one sees you. Let me rephrase, especially when no one sees you. We are not doing this for anyone else. We are doing it for God. I want to challenge some of the students this morning, some of the high schoolers or primary schoolers. I've often had, I was there, I've been there, probably will be there again, where I think I want to do something for God. So let me go to the church and I'll, you know, I'll volunteer and I'll start a ministry and I'll do whatever. And I'll, Of course, I'm a pastor. Of course, I think that's great. Do that. Amen. But can I challenge you to look at what you are doing in this season of your life, to look at your studies through the lens of the excellence of God. 
I'm not saying it's about the marks. It's got nothing to do with your marks. It's got everything to do with the attitude that I'm engaging in. Because the way that I study, the way that I engage in this season, that feels like it's never ending. I mean, our elder sister in seven and school to her sound already feels never ending in grade one. But can I challenge you that if you are a Christ follower, and I don't think everyone is, but if you say that I'm following Jesus, can I challenge you to study in such a way that it says something about the worthiness of your God, even when no one is looking? Bring God into the season that you are in. I mean, all of us, we've got such funny ideas about how you bring God into business, into the marketplace, right? I've seen that so often. We think, you know, if I want to be, I'm, I'm running a business. So if I want to be a Christian businessman, I have to call my business some Christianese phrase, right? Have you heard that? No, it's like uh, dry bone valley chiropractors or sight to the blind optometrists uh, or Hebrews coffee shop or something like that. You know, now I'm a Christian businessman. I'm standing up for Jesus. Or we feel I have to force God into every single conversation at the office or at the university or in my class, even if it doesn't fit at all. It's like awkwardly forced in. Oh, sir, this is great. I'm, I'm glad, you know, we could settle this life insurance, you know, great deal done here. But so here's the real question. What about insurance for life after death? Have you ever thought about that, sir? Or ma'am, I'm so glad we finally got you onto this mailing list. But here's the real question, ma'am. Your name is on this mailing list, but is your name in the book of life, ma'am? That's the question, right? We feel that's what we need to do. I want to challenge us. God is saying it's not always even what you're doing, but how you are doing it. That is bringing glory to him. You are worshiping. You are doing what you were created to be when you are following in the excellence and everything that you are doing of God. Let me give you two examples of that. Excellence is reflected in my work ethic. Oh, yes, I'm going there. (laughs) Excellence is reflected in my work ethic. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, don't be deceived, friends. God is not marked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. God says in the broad strokes of the universe, I have, I have put this principle in place, not in every single little detail or weird moment, but he says in the broad strokes, if I expect to put nothing in, I should not expect to get something out. And this applies to all the areas of my life. This applies to business. It applies to relationships. It applies to spiritual gifts and calling. No input, don't expect output. If I think that I'm not going to work and not be excellent. Don't expect payment for that. If I don't expect, I'm speaking to myself this morning. If I don't expect to put in the hard work in my marriage and the date nights and the speaking words of encouragement and the serving, don't expect this thriving marriage decade in, decade out. If I'm not willing to put in the time with my kids and sit on the carpet and play and be there and invest in them, don't expect this incredible relationship with your children. If I don't Decide to say, God, I'm going to put in my weak moments where I invest in you. I want to know you. Who are you? What's your character? What do you say over my life and my future? Then don't expect this deep sense of gratitude and victory in your faith. Very often what I put in, I will get out. See, because poverty is not just a money thing. Do we know that? Poverty is a relational thing. Poverty is a physical thing. Poverty is... It's a spiritual thing. Poverty in all areas of life is a possibility. And God says, that's not who I made you to be. 
You've been called to be excellent in your work ethic. Be ambitious. Be the first one and the last to leave. Roll up your sleeves because that's why I've made you in my image. Proverbs 18 verse 9. Man, this is harsh. But that's what it says in the Bible. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. That sounds just like a put down, but actually it's very significant because destroying is the opposite of what God is in his nature. He is a creator. And so when I associate uncreation with something that's bad, and God is saying when I am lazy, it's like I'm associating with the opposite of God. I'm saying this as a serial procrastinator this morning. I struggle with these things. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking with you. But can I be so bold as to say to us this morning, once again, if you're a Christian here, if you are a Christ follower here this morning, can I challenge you with this thought? God is not okay with us being lazy. He's not. (laughs) He's not asking for perfection. Please don't hear that. Don't walk out burdened today because he's perfect. He's not asking for for lifelong, you know, never set a foot wrong faithfulness because that's what he does. But he's saying, I have made you, I've called you, I have commissioned you to serve with excellence. Second one, if you're new with us, we share this building with another incredible church just uh, behind us here. So we're going to have just some good background worship to enjoy. So stick with me. Excellence is not just reflected in your work ethic, it's reflected in your integrity. It's reflected, hear this, young and old, it's reflected in your integrity. Now, all of us know that a lack of integrity is nothing new to the workspace. For all the guys who are doing eight to fives, you own your own business, who would attest to the fact that cutting corners and bending the rules and working unethically, that feels like the status quo out there. Would you agree with me? But can I challenge us with this thought? Proverbs 11 verse 1 says, dishonest scales are detestable. That's a strong word to the Lord. But an accurate weight is his delight. The the context here is in Jesus' time, you would have these merchants and they would literally tip the scales with fake weights and they would have all these clever schemes to cheat people, often desperately poor people out of what they should rightly be able to buy. And God says, I look at that and it's detestable to me. Friends, if I look around me and I say, but, you know, that's what everyone does. I want to challenge us by saying our standard is not the standard of the world. It's not the standard of my office. It's not the standard even of my family or my friends. It's the standard of God. And when I go to work, when I go to study, when I enter into my home, I say, God, I want to have the highest level of ethics because it says something about the justice of my God. It says something about the character of my God. And you say, Joe, but that's naive. My whole office, my whole company, my whole industry, my city doesn't work according to that. I know. That's why Jesus says, yes, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. My standard is not the status quo. My standard is not the newest thing. My standard is God. I want to honor you above all else. I've told you that story before of this guy. We, at one stage, I was unsure about my calling in ministry many years ago, and we were excited about fitness and the fitness industry and this couple, and we meet the man, and they are inspiring. And this guy, he just quotes verses like no even pastor that I've ever met, and he's Bible under the arm, and he shares the gospel in every class, and he's, you know, he's trailblazing, and it's exciting, and we just want to be with them. 
And we're on the, you know, the, the limit. We're on the very moment of signing contracts with these guys, signing away so much of what we were about to do. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, luckily, thank God, we find out through many different business sources that this guy and his wife, Bible under the arm, worshiping God in the front, they are leaving economic body bags by the dozens everywhere they go. And they move from one city to the next and people are bought in and there's excitement and then there are lawsuits and then there's liquidation and then there's all these things happening. And meanwhile, this guy is saying, yes, Jesus, Bible under the arm, worshiping in the front, leader in the church. But I'm breaking people by the dozens financially. That is not who God has called us to be. That's a Simba moment for us, friends. You are more than what you have become. I've put my spirit in you. And I'm calling you once again in your studies. I'm calling you once again in your parenting. I'm calling you to trust me, to follow me, to be connected to this sense of excellence and integrity. And then finally, it's not just connecting to God in his passion and in his excellence, but finally just connecting with God in his posture in my work life, connecting with the posture of God. Can you think with me, what would be deserved if God looks at the brokenness and the rebellion and the sin of this planet? How would he engage? Would it not be fair if he comes in guns blazing, fireballs rolling, sword in hand, and he cuts down and he rids and he he destroys? Would that not be fair? (laughs) I guess that's fair. But how does God posture himself when it comes to the brokenness of mankind? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is being treated in the opposite manner to what I deserve. He says in Jesus Christ, the grace that though he was rich, God is Jesus, is one. He is God. What he had, we cannot comprehend What he would have to lose for your sake, he became poor, stepping into the flesh of mankind so that by his poverty, by his death, by his life, by his self-sacrificing resurrection, you might become rich. That's not financial riches that it's speaking about there. It's spiritual richness. Once again, being connected, reconciled to my father, connected to the grid of purpose and passion and life that is God. The posture of Jesus was not sword in hand, but nails in hand. And he comes and he gives us the very opposite of what I thought we probably deserved. Can I just ask us this one question? If you were to think about the way that you walk into the office on a Monday morning, the way that you treat your parents or your siblings, the way that you study, the way that your commune runs, how would it change if I looked through the lens of the posture of a servant like Jesus? Can I just ask the question, God, if I took the posture of serving rather than wanting to be served, it's not my glory, it's yours. And I'd be the first one to walk in and say, God, I want to be a joy to my colleagues. I want to speak life and bring hope. I want to be the first one to say, I'm sorry, forgive me, I made a mistake. I want to be the first one that when it's difficult and the budgets are not working and it's, it's trouble and there's strife in the office that I would say, guys, I'm sure there's a way we can band together. Is there a way that I go through difficult seasons of my life that says something about the Jesus that I serve? You know, I think we always as Christians, I found this, especially in certain circles of the church, that we're so excited to say we need to get the gifts of the Spirit operating in our workplaces, right? 
get the gifts operating. When I work, you know, when I, when I walk in on a Monday, I'm just healing and healing and, you know, it's bread being multiplied and I'm just laying out this guy's life for him and then I go and do my budget. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, that's called the gifts. I'm asking, what about the fruit? <laughs> We're so excited about the gifts of the Spirit, but what about the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. God, when I enter into my workspace, my work life, into my family, I want to have the posture of Jesus. I live for the glory of God and the good of other people. Connected to his passion and excellence and servant posture. So let me end off this morning and just ask you a simple question. How many hours do you think, I know for some of you it feels like we have been here for three hours, but how many hours do you think of your life Will you be in a church gathering like this? The gathering of the church, a Sunday celebration. Take a guess. How many hours do you think? I'll cut the tension with a knife by saying it's 7,530 hours of your life. That's massive, right? No, not really. That's one month of your life. You are going to be with the people of God gathered on a Sunday for one month of your t entire earthly existence. Now, you know where I'm going with this. Let me ask you the question, how many hours of your life do you think you are going to be engaged in your work life? Double that? Triple that? How about 90,360 hours of your life? Friends, you can watch Titanic, three-hour-long movie, 30,120 times in that time. And then still we won't know why the heck could Rose not make space for Jack on that door. It doesn't make any sense. There was more than enough space. Right? Rose, what are you doing? Hashtag save Jack. We could have done that. Friends, we are going to spend the bulk of our life Engage in the vocation that God has given us. I mean, of the 45 miracles and parables spoken of by Jesus in his ministry, 45 of them are in the workplace context. Of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts, 39 of them take place in the marketplace. God has not called us to gather as the church only. He's called us to be the church in the city. I love what... Abel, a friend of mine in Dr. Bloom, he said of this message, he said, you know what? When 5 of M was still a thing, uh, you know, Gareth Clifford always on a Friday, he would say this saying, you know, it's the weekend, baby. You guys remember that? All the older guys? Generational gap there. I hope and trust and I think God has called us to a place where on a Monday morning, Christians filled with the Spirit of God would say, thank God it's Monday. Because now we go and get to be the church. So, whether you are a painter, programmer, preacher, poet, plumber, postman, or pediatrician, walk in the calling to which you have been called with passion, excellence, and the posture of God. Whether you are a salesman, singer, scientist, secretary, social worker, sociologist, surgeon, or sportsman, 
Walk in the calling to which you have been called with passion, excellence, and the servant posture of God. Or finally, whether you are a magistrate, microbiologist, manager, mechanic, mathematician, mayor, medical rep, or musician, walk in the calling to which you have been called with passion, with excellence, and the servant posture of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to submit my heart and my head and my hands to you this morning. And I pray, God, that every single person sitting here would firstly be convinced that we cannot earn relationship with you, but that Jesus, as a free gift and faith, you have opened the way for us. And as a response to your revelation of free grace and love and sacrificial life, God, we want to walk in the calling to which we have been called. God, our city needs this. Our country needs this. Will you put a fire in the heart of your church in this country for your glory and for the good of all people? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just to help you, We've made little Monday morning atheist. I don't know if this is like a tea cozy for a light switch, but this is, that's the idea. And I want each of you to take one of these home when you leave later. And just with some double-sided tape or whatever you need, just for a season, in your office, in your room, wherever you need this, just put this around your light switch. And so God, every single morning when I leave or when I enter into that place, I'm not earning, I'm responding to the grace and love of God by saying, God, will you switch me on with passion and excellence and with your servant posture? Can we do that? Brilliant. So last thing before we get to our baptism, and I'm going to ask at this moment um, that the guys who are getting baptized, this is exciting stuff, you can get up and you can go and get dressed and we are going to be with you in a couple of minutes. But before they do that, I'm going to ask them just to come forward because we want to pray for them and then we've got one more thing we're going to do while they are getting dressed. So can I ask those four guys, Kian and them, Jess, can you guys all come forward? Can we just give them a hand? This is daunting, I know. You guys can just line up here next to me. Isn't this awesome? This is so exciting, friends. Jesus says, if you are a follower of Christ, then be baptized. It's not for forgiveness. It's because of forgiveness. It's because of what God has done in my heart. It's a public statement with the people of God. Say, this is what God has done in my life. And so can I ask us just to stretch out our hands to them and just bless them and just pray that they would experience such a sense of intimacy with God, such a strength in the spirit. Let's pray over these beautiful people. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you are a faithful God. And that when we go under the waters of baptism, God, we are making a statement about your faithfulness and your grace and your love. And I pray this morning that that would just pour over them literally like the water pours over them. May they experience, God, such a sense of victory that's based on you. And we thank you for that. God, thank you for the word and the spirit and the people of God. We pray that in your name. Amen. Excited. So you guys can go and get dressed. Uh, they know where and how to do that. And for us, how are we going to finish off? Before we're going to go out and use communion together, the first Sunday of every month we do that. But we're also baptizing together this morning. Um, is we're going to have at the end of each of our sermons during the series, we're going to have a quick little mini interview. 
And we're calling these city changer interviews. And the reason is we just want to say, listen, none of us have got this figured out. So we might as well hear one another's stories and just see what that looks like. So we've got people from all walks of life, different ages and backgrounds. And we're just going to every week just have a quick moment where we just hear what does that look like in your life. So to start us off this morning, can we welcome and just give a good hand to Nicholas Constantinides. He's sitting at the back there. He's going to join me in the front. And we are just going to have a quick chat about what this looks like. So welcome, Nicholas. Thank you. Hello. He's on. He's on. I'm on. I'm on. My voice is worse than, than yours. <laughs> Although I cry at the rugby, I, I spend up screaming a hell of a lot more. That's so. exactly <laughs> what it should be. It should be equal parts screaming and crying when the box are playing like that. So, Nicholas, thank you so much. He was chomping at the bit to sit here in front of all of you. I can promise you that. <laughs> no, he is dreading this moment, but I really thank you for that. So let's maybe start just by asking the question, who is Nicholas and what do you do for a living? Cool. So, hi, Nicholas Constantinidis. I am 29, uh, born and raised in Pretoria, went to Tux, uh, beautiful wife, Natasha, at the back. And, um, yeah, so a bit of a running joke in the family is that nobody really knows what I do for a living. And I think even when people ask Natasha, it's, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a complicated explanation. So I sometimes wish I was a painter, preacher, uh, plumber, a little bit easier to explain. So in short, uh, I mean... I'm in management consulting, work for a big multinational corporation, and we ultimately help uh, multinationals coming into Africa, understanding the context, understanding that this beautiful continent is not one country, but 54 independent states, and business is done differently, traditions, cultures, religions, and so on. Uh, And that's really what, what we do, is we help as the advisor. So, yeah. Just to say, I can vouch for the running joke, because when we had our partner's evening where Tash came to, Nick couldn't be there that evening, and we kind of went around just getting to know each other, and I was like, and what, do you, what does your husband do, Tash? And she was like, uh, it's a bit complicated. <laughs> and I thought, it can't be that complicated. And then the first time he kind of ran through some of it, I was like, oh, okay, it is, it is quite complicated. So maybe tell us, Nick, in, in this line of work, what are some of the most exciting and enjoyable things that you do? What are some of the most challenging things that you do? Sure. So I think... I was thinking about it, and I can probably answer it with the same, the same answer, is that the travel. So the travel is fantastic. I think one thing that I've been lucky to do is to travel to 30-plus African countries, work closely with, with some of the you know, clients, colleagues, and so on. But I think with the travel comes that sacrifice of being away from home, being away from loved ones. So I think both a blessing and a curse at the same time is you, know, you, you give it for for the end goal, but there's a lot that comes with it. And I think for a lot of us as well, there's whether it's driving in traffic for three hours every day or sitting in, in you know, in a train or a bus, it's, it's a, a bit of a sacrifice that comes with that. But yeah, I think working with so many different people, I think as a consulting firm, the, the nice thing is you never really work for your own company. You're often working for, for all these other organizations. So it's a different day, different, different organization, different people. Uh, I think in, that's really the, the joy that comes out of it. And so here's the thing that all of us struggle with, is how do you, just an example, and like I said, this is all of our journey. Nick doesn't have it figured out, I don't have it figured out, and I work for the church, so I guess it should be easier, but I don't have it figured out, is how do you bring your faith into your workspace? Yeah, so I think listening to, to today, I'm definitely guilty of being that, that Monday morning atheist, and exactly like Joe said, you know, when you work, work in a, a corporate environment, you often feel that there's no space 
for God. It, it, it's a bit of a random conversation to throw in there. Um, and I think, you know, over the past year, really trying to think, how can I bring more of it into the workplace? Um, and what I've realized is very difficult to do it alone. Um, it, you, you are often looked at as the weird guy, and it becomes a little bit difficult on that. So I think where I've been fortunate is I have a fantastic team of, of employees that report to me. Um, and it's really about creating the sense of trust, love, and support for one another. And that often is looked at quite oddly in a, in a corporate world. And the question comes in is, why are you doing that? Why do you treat everyone with respect and, and love and trust? And then the conversations flow a little bit easier around why we do what we do. And I think that's really how I've tried to, at least from my side, trying to bring it in, is that it's difficult over the short term. It's the tough decisions that were the tough arguments and conversations that you have here and now, but I think in the longer term, it's really what, what works out at the end of the day. Brilliant. I think just even that phrase, long obedience in the same <laughs> direction is one for all of us. So final question, Nick, what is it that as a family together, as a community of faith, what can we pray with and for you and Tash in this season of your life when it comes to work? Yeah, so ironically, Sona and Joe doesn't know this, I think... Uh, uh, probably going through a bit of a crossroads in, in the work world, looking at giving up a very safe career, a paying job to pursue something slightly different, a passion. Um, so I suppose from my side and maybe Tash, support, love, uh, hope, uh, and faith that, that it will work out. Is that cool? Does this stir your heart to think about maybe your space? Where are you at at the moment? And what would some of these questions look like in your life if I were to put you on this chair this morning? And so can we just bless uh, the two of them? Maybe, Tash, will you join Nick in the front? And we're just going to pray. I didn't tell you that ahead of time. Sorry. Not really. Sorry. Um, can we just pray for the two of them as we stand together as a family? And just saying that we are trusting that God would really fill them with his spirit. And that they would just experience the joy of God as they work for him. Can we do that? Let's stand together. Let's pray over them. Jesus, we just pray this morning for Nick and Tash. And God, I just want to make that statement, almost what the Father just said over Jesus at his baptism, that you too, you are my beloved, and I'm well pleased with you. And you are my son, and you are my daughter. And God, we just pray this morning that they would experience, even in the uncertainty and in a season where there's a lot of wisdom needed, God, they would just experience the joy of God smiling over them as they go to work, as they engage in their marriage. And God, may it bear such fruit as Nick is so wise. He said, God, in the long run, we know that all of this will work together for the glory of God and for the good of them. And we pray that as a family together, we pray that as a, as a family of faith, we lend them faith this morning. And we say, bless you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen.